Yes, we are in 1 John chapter 2. Last week we talked about basically how to understand the book of 1 John, and I'm, uh, we're not going to have time to repeat a lot of those things. So if you didn't hear last week's message, you might get a little lost in this one. And so anyone who only listens to this one, before you criticize anything I say or try to doubt me, go listen to the previous weeks too. These all go together. They're going to build on each other. And it's really important before you hear next week's message that you had heard this week's message. Otherwise, you're going to get lost on that one too. This is all one letter that John wrote. And the chapter divisions were added later. And so we're trying to look at this as a whole. We want to make sure we're getting the big picture here. So we're not going to really do any review from last week, but we're just going to jump right into it. I'm going to assume everyone remembers everything I talked about last week. Okay, so I'm just going to assume that. But anyway, verse 1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he's writing these things because he doesn't want us to sin. And he said in the previous chapter, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, when we talk about the cleansing of Christ, when we talk about eternal security, like we are not doing like a lot of people accuse us of giving people license to sin. You know, letting people know that their sins are forgiven, that they are under the blood, that is in no way us encouraging anyone to sin. In fact, we, that we're encouraging people to not sin and to not take advantage of the grace of God. And it's super wicked to take advantage of the grace of God. We should never, ever do something like that. And if we do something like that, you better believe God is going to deal with us. God is going to judge us. And we might talk about that in one of the later chapters, possibly. But he's writing these things so they will not sin. But if we sin, thank God... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So while we might not always be so righteous, thankfully, our advocate is righteous. And you know what Jesus pleads when he stands there before God? He pleads his blood, not our works. He pleads his works. And his works are what we must claim in order to be saved, not our works. Not works of righteousness we have done. It's Jesus Christ and his works. He gets 100% of the credit for our salvation. So the fact that all our sins are forgiven uh, and will be forgiven, not an excuse to sin, but it's a motivation for us not to sin. Romans 2, 4 says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And I'm telling you, there's just something, you know, whenever I am forced to do something, I typically do it with a bad attitude and I try to get away with as much as I can. But you know, it's different when somebody asks you nicely. Like back when they were forcing us to uh, you know, wear masks places. When people acted like they believed in the masks, I would be a bigger jerk to those people. But when it was like some little old lady or some young girl that you could tell, she's like, I have to do this. It's my job. I know this is stupid, but they're going to fire me if I don't you know, tell you. But you know, I was nicer to those people. You know, just because at least they were nice about it. They were humans about it, you know, and God has just been so good to us with the grace that he has given. And, you know, he has given us salvation for free. He's promised that he will not take it away. How wicked would we have to be to be like, well, cool, you know, and then just go and sin on purpose. That's nuts. But you know what? You know, we should when we sin willfully, God is going to judge us. But, you know, we sin all the time without even trying. And the, and, but thank God when we do, 
Jesus is there pleading our case. We're okay. And you know, for the people too who read 1 John and act like Christians never sin, why do we need an advocate? You know why we need an advocate? Because we still sin. And it's, there's not a whole lot of people, at least in the Baptist world, that think this way, but you do have your holiness crowd, your, some of your Pentecostal groups. It's pretty weird uh, seeing what they do with this book. But the law makes me not want to sin for fear of judgment, but grace makes me not want to sin out of love for God. And we talked about that a while back in the message I preached. And what, you know, what do we think God wants? Does God want us motivated by love for him or fear of punishment? God wants us doing right out of love for him. And so that's why God has done all the amazing things that he's done, the loving things that he has done. And so verse 2 says, And he is, talking about Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Great verse to throw at the Calvinists right there. Not just for the saved people, but he's sins of the whole world. They've got to go to him for forgiveness. So Jesus Christ is where we find salvation. It's nowhere else. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Okay? Now, I want you to keep that verse in mind. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And we're back on the theme of the book that is knowing that we're saved. And this is how we can know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you keep his commandments? And the truth is, you know what? I'm just going to say it right now. <clears throat> I do. Okay. Now y'all are looking at me like, man, you are really arrogant. Okay. Okay. Now I, I, I believe I do. I, I can, I can stand here today and I honestly believe with all my heart that his commandments that John's talking about, I believe I'm keeping those. Okay. I'm going to let y'all think I'm arrogant for a little bit. We'll keep going. Verse four. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So right here, this verse by itself, it can be problematic because we've already established that we're all sinners. So how could we say that we keep his commandments? Okay, because I mean, because here's the thing, we got to ask, which commandments? Is it the Ten Commandments? You know, is it all of the law? What is John specifically talking about? When he mentions his commandments right here. Okay, so let's keep reading and see if we can get context. Because you know, what people will do is they'll say, you know, if you're not keeping his commandments, and then you know what they want to do? They want to chase you around with the law. They want to chase you around with the Old Testament. And please don't chase me around with the Old Testament. I don't think for two seconds I'm keeping all of the commandments of the Old Testament. I don't think I'm keeping all the commandments of the Bible. But you know what? I do think I'm keeping his commandments that he's talking about in chapter in verses 3 and 4, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I believe I'm keeping those commandments. And, and some of you might think, well, that's all the commandments. I think he's being more specific here. And, and I want to prove that to you as we go through this. So verse 5, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So if we're keeping his word, if we're keeping these commandments, and I believe they are specific commandments. I don't believe it's all the commandments of the Bible. I believe these are very specific ones. And he says, if we'll keep those, his, his word, the love of God is perfected or completed. Now, one thing we're going to see in this chapter, and we see other places in the Bible, how do we perfect the love of God? 
Okay, and, and understand that word can mean to complete. And so the way we complete or perfect the love of God is God loves us, and then we take that love and we give it to other people. That's what it means to perfect the love of God. So he's saying if we will keep his word or his commandments, then God's love will be perfected. So it seems to me that what he's specifically talking about here is love, which is without a doubt a theme that's in this book. So uh, in 1 John 4, verse 12, it says, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. So God loved us. That love is perfected when we show the same love to others. We don't want to break the link in the chain. The good that's been given to us, we need to be passing it on to others. And it's really sad when Christians or when, a, when an individual receives the love of God in such a wonderful way. God saves them. God loves them. He saves them. And then we just take that salvation and we do nothing with it. We don't grow. We don't share the love of God with other people. That is sad when that happens. And God wants us perfecting that love. We've been commanded to perfect that love and to give it on to other people. Verse 6 says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. So does this mean sinless perfection? Now, Jesus did walk in sinless perfection, but is that what this is talking about here? Or is he talking about something specific and and something that was very notable about Jesus, meaning his love for the brethren? I mean, what is one of the most notable characteristics of Jesus Christ? It's his love. It's one thing everybody likes to talk about. Verse 7 goes on to say, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. So here we have, he's getting real specific about the commandment. Now, what's he talking about? Is he talking about the Ten Commandments? Is he talking about all those commandments of the Old Testament? I mean, don't we all love to chase people around with the law and nail them over the head when they're not getting it right? You know, when somebody doesn't, you know, somebody's doing a sin, one of the sins that bothers us, and we can just go to the law, and we've got so many verses we can nail them with. And then, you know, and listen, I'm all for preaching against sin. But then what some people will do is they'll go a step further, and they'll go find one of their pet laws from the Old Testament that somebody in the church isn't doing, and then they'll go to 1 John and say, you're not keeping his commandments. Here's a commandment from the Old Testament. You must not be saved. That's not right, folks. What he's talking about here, I believe, is something very specific. So he talks about, he's like, I'm not giving you a new commandment, but a commandment that you had from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. And so now he's getting specific for us. Okay. And what's interesting about these two verses, they seem to contradict each other because first he's saying it's not a new commandment. Then he's saying it is a new commandment. But let's, what's he talking about? Well, let's look at other references to this uh, commandment and see if we can learn anything. So let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. John, chapter 13. Again, we can never let preachers just isolate a verse and then this phrase sounds good and it sounds like it's going along with what I'm saying, but let me attach my own definitions to it, my own specifics to it. No, let's find out 
what the writer was specifically talking about when he said it, and then let's, let's use it that way. Let's use it the same way that John used it. So John 13, verse 34 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So you see what Jesus told his disciples right there? He said, I've got a new commandment for you, that ye love one another. So, is it a stretch to say that when John is referring back to that commandment and talking about a new commandment and talking about keeping his commandments, that maybe he's talking about something very specific that Jesus brought up that he commanded to his church. And remember too, you've got the Israel under the old covenant. They've got all kinds of laws that they're supposed to be keeping, don't they? But now Jesus is bringing in a new and a better way and now it's not about chasing people around with just all these you know, massive number of laws that we can't even remember all of them. What did Jesus do when he came? He said, you know what? Let me just sum it all up for you. Love God, love your neighbor. On these two things hang all the law and the prophets. So under the old covenant, we've got rules galore. I mean, they're all over the place. But when Jesus Christ comes along, brings in the new covenant, he simplifies it real easy for us. You know what? Just love God, love your neighbor. We see love is the theme. Love is what is, is being pushed. Hey, now, understand, in our, you know, in our lives, we all you know, still mess up and do things that violate God's law, don't we? You know, that, that's, it's pretty normal. Save people in the church. We all do things wrong. We, there's always something that we can find in the Bible that some of us aren't doing right. But, you know, even on our worst day, okay, and let me just say this too, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, you know, and I'm not, I'm not just talking, okay, but I get it. I sin every day. Thank God I've got an advocate. But you know what? I can say this for sure. I can't think of a day especially since I've been passing this church where I didn't love God and I didn't love my church and I didn't love God's people. Now, do I get aggravated with God's people sometimes? Sure. Okay. I mean, parents, think about how aggravated you get with your children. But you still love your children, don't you? I mean, and then think about you know, how mad, you know, sometimes they do. They make you mad. Maybe they get you to lose your temper. Maybe they cause you to sin. But do you ever stop loving them during that time? Did you know it's not hard? It, it's not hard for a Christian to love. It's not hard for me to love God. It's not hard for me to love God's people. Now, loving my enemies can be hard sometimes. But you know what? Loving God, loving the brethren, that and as a church, that is one of our things that we are supposed to do that we see brought up over and over again is to love each other, look out for each other, serve one another. I mean, Jesus talked about that kind of thing a lot with his disciples while he was on earth. We, he talked about that a lot. These aren't, they, they, at least they shouldn't be difficult things. You know, parents, if you have a tough time loving your kids, something's wrong with you. That's, that's not natural. It's not natural for a parent to not love their children. It's not like it's not natural when a woman has her baby butchered. That's not that's not normal. That's not natural. And let me tell you something. It's not normal and it's not natural for saved people to hate each other. Not normal. Not nat, not natural. 
It's, that, that's a very strange thing. Well, you know, what about you know, these people from other churches and other religions that, you know, they might be saved, but... They, and, you know, obviously I think we should love all our brethren and everything, but at the same time, too, I think here in, with John, he's talking about those that they assemble with, those that they're around. I, obviously, it's hard to love people that you don't know personally. You know, and, and a lot of times, too... Have you ever, maybe even another Christian, it's been this way with me before, where there's even been other preachers that I didn't really like them. Maybe I heard them preach a sermon somewhere and I didn't really care for them or I just got a bad impression. But then after you got to know them, that changed, didn't it? And the truth is, you know, after we, you know, it's, there's always going to be other saved people that maybe rub us the wrong way we don't really care for. But part of it is because we don't really know them. If we got to know them, we probably would love them. And again, so when it comes to our family here, our church, your own, our, our own personal uh, congregation, for you to be around each other all the time, to serve together, to be a family together, and to not love each other, something is really weird. That is not, that's not good. It's not a difficult commandment. It's not a, I don't want to get into another chapter, it's not grievous to love God's people. And so let me just, just remind you that, again, we're seeing a theme. We're seeing something very specific. It's love for God, love for the brethren, and we cannot just go pulling other commandments from the Bible. John is not referenced one time in this book and make people doubt their salvation. Let's stick with the things that John stuck with, stuck with, and that's loving our brethren. In 2 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. So again, we see that love, that theme, that love for the brethren is what he's been talking about. And so for, so for us as Christians, we do not have this mentality of just keeping all these laws from the Old Testament. You know what happens when we get that mentality of keeping all these laws? You know what it does? It gets us puffed up, doesn't it? Man, I tie the mint and coming. You know, I fast twice in a week. I, you know, all of these things from the law, we can all go pull something from the law that we're doing successfully. And you know what it does? It just makes us get puffed up. And you know what it does a lot of times too? It gets us being down on other Christians. Oh man, well, you know, our family, my wife never wears that which pertaineth unto a man. But you know, sister so-and-so, I saw her the other day, you know, dressed this way. You know what? It's pretty sad that your obedience to that law has made you despise someone else. Because do you know the commandment that God focused on, that Jesus focused on when he started his church? It wasn't Deuteronomy 22.5. You know what it was? It was love the brethren. That was what he focused on. And, you're, you, and, and it's sad how many Christians, they start taking these good laws. All the laws in the Old Testament are good. They'll take these good laws, they'll apply them in their life, and all it does is it makes them look down on their brother and they forget the main thing that Jesus commanded, love each other. That's not what the law is supposed to do for you. You know, what you need to get focused on is just loving each other. And let me tell you, if you love God, that'll make you want to fulfill Deuteronomy 22, verse 5 in your life. But, you know, if, if, you're, if you love God, but you know what you need? And if you love your brethren and somebody isn't doing what they're supposed to do, you know what? You'll understand, not my problem. I'm only just supposed to love them and I'm going to keep doing that and I'm going to keep being a good example. That's what God wants from us. Matthew 23, verse 27 says, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. 
This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So when John's talking about keeping the commandments, I don't believe he's chasing them around with a bunch of laws from the Old Testament. I, don't believe, I believe he is chasing them around with really one commandment, and that's love the brethren. Something that Jesus emphasized. Okay, And so in 1 John, we see the love for the brethren being emphasized, but why don't we see the love of God being mentioned? And I believe it's because John is specifically writing to a people who claim to have a love for God, but understand that other group that went out from them, they were a group of people who rejected the Son and they hated their brothers, but yet they claimed to love God. They claimed to have the Father, but they denied the Son. And so understand, both groups, the Jews, the, the ones who went back into Judaism, they would have claimed to have a love for God. But they denied the Son and they hated their brethren. While the ones who stayed true to Christianity and stayed true to their, their ways, those ones, they loved God, but they also loved the Son and they loved their brethren too, just like it was commanded. So I believe that's why he doesn't specifically mention that because remember, we have a conflict. We, we're going to see more later too. We had, a, you know, we had a split in this group. So uh, again, it's, it's all about love. And you know what? It is just sad and disturbing the lack of love that there is in our world today. And part of the reason is because our world doesn't understand what love is. We see in June month for Pride, you know, Pride Month, they talk a lot about love. And they have no idea what love is. I mean, I just it's just been grieving me just seeing a lot of the stuff. They've been having all these drag queen shows where parents are bringing their kids. This Listen, you don't love your kids if you take them to a drag queen show. You have no love at all. And I'm, I'm so tired of all these people, too, who act like they are against perversion and they're okay with that. I called one. I called one out this morning on Twitter that Eric Skorzynski, he's always just going after the IFB for perversion and stuff. And let me tell you, nobody preaches harder against perversion in the IFB than I do. I hate that stuff. I've stood against that stuff. But you know what? I don't just stand against Baptist perverts. I stand against all perverts. And he got all mad because I said that stuff about him and I would say it to his face in a heartbeat. I, and, and he gets on and he, he does a tweet. I'm going to read this tweet he did because this, this is disturbing. All right. The lack of love that this guy has for human beings is absolutely disturbing. But he shared some screenshots of the tweet that I did. Said there must be something in the water today. I'll tell you what's in the water today. It's not what's in the water. It's what's all over social media with all this faggotry that's being pushed down everyone's throats. Gets you kind of fired up seeing the fag flag everywhere, seeing the drag queen shows and things going on, and then seeing guys like him that supposedly against grooming and perversion being silent about it. Dead silent about it. And I said in there he had no moral compass, and he says, Tommy McMurtry believes I have no moral compass. I did say that, and I do believe that. But frankly, my moral beliefs resonate quite a bit with something Jesus taught. Love your neighbor as yourself. So loving your neighbor is being okay with a bunch of freaks grooming little kids. He's only against Baptist grooming kids. That's, a, that's all he cares about. 
You know, I mean, freak drag queens. Guys doing unspeakable things in front of kids. That's what he has a problem with. He said, I frankly don't have the energy to care about or police what's, uh, what grown consenting adults do as long as it doesn't harm others. Listen, I was specifically talking about the drag queen stuff. Are those kids consenting? Are they, they're not legally able to consent to going and having that stuff shoved down their throats. And I'm telling you, any parent that takes their kids, that stuff ought to have their kids taken away. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is abuse. He said, this guy acts like he, he acts like he used to be a Christian and just doesn't believe anymore. He said, I believe LGBTQ plus people have equal value to me. <laughs> I actually believe they have equal value to him too. <laughs> okay, now there, listen, you know, one of the, one of the definitions for reprobate is worthless. Okay? I do agree with him on that because I think this guy is the embodiment of a reprobate. And so, yes, equal value. And and it says, we are all human and deserving of respect, empathy, and kindness. You know, he's not real respectful to the pedophiles, Baptist pedophiles, I should say. And I don't think he should be respectful to them. I think he ought to nail their hides to the wall, and I like when he does it. I just wish he was consistent. I wish he could convince me that he cared about kids because I would actually think he did if he, would have, if he had a problem with drag queens. But I, he won't even speak out against that. You know why? Because being a drag queen is politically correct. Folks, the, I mean, the Bible talks about how in the last days the love of many is going to wax cold. We're there. I mean, we are there. I mean, I can't, I mean what, how unloving can you be to say that? So, so I apologize for my lack of moral compass but I think I'll continue to attack preachers of the gospel who rape children in their churches and I'll leave the LGBTQ plus community alone. And listen, by all means, I will continue to attack preachers that rape kids. You better believe I'll continue to do that. I'll call these people out. I'll name them. I'll have nothing to do with them. I love to see them go to jail. But you know what? I'm not going to be, I'm not a respecter of persons and I'm not going to be okay with perverts in that other community either it's all wicked these i mean these people are doing these things on camera they're having public events they're 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 uh on facebook promoting these events where they're literally grooming children trying to tell them that they're you know gay and stuff folks this is this is sick stuff and let me tell you you want to know why a lot of churches aren't even preaching against this kind of stuff because they have no love. There is just there is no love. The love you know they love themselves. They love themselves. So I want to look good. I want to be. I want to fit in with the world. I want them to love me. So you know what? I'll I'll speak against you know the what's politically correct. I'll speak against the Baptist perverts, but the atheist perverts. I'm going to leave them alone. I'm just going to I'm going to leave the LGBTQ plus people alone. I mean, you know, go do the statistics and see where there's more molestation. In that community or in Baptist churches? And I wish it was zero in Baptist churches. It should be zero in Baptist churches. And you know, let me tell you, it's zero in every Baptist church I've been a part of. It's zero in this church. But then in these, in these communities where, I mean, every one of these people are victims of it, pretty much. And then they're just continuing that cycle and people have no problem with this. Folks, people don't even understand what love is. 
The love of God is not being perfected in churches. And that's why we have a lot of so-called Christians that are just okay with horrible, horrible sins. That is not, that should not be our mentality. And I am all for loving people, but it doesn't give us an excuse to just turn a blind eye to crimes and to abuse and to filth and perversion. We have no right to do that. No right whatsoever. And it does. It makes me sick. And I wish these people could just, you know, have just a little bit of love in their life, but they've got zero. Okay, people like Eric, zero love in his life when he's when he's just not willing to stand against stuff like that. No, he. I, I guess the only love he does have is for himself, and it's all about getting a following. So let me get all the Baptist haters. And you know who the biggest Baptist haters are? LGBTQ plus people. They're the, they're the biggest Baptist haters out there. So he would hate to offend a lot of his audience. That that's what he's worried about. And I I mean I've never seen hip hypocrisy on full display more than i did with that guy it's absolutely ridiculous and let me tell you my prophecies about this guy that many of you heard are coming to true fast fast and i, I won't say these things publicly but I, I, you all know and the biggest one was that he was going to renounce christianity i called that months before he actually did that months and it ain't done folks when no people are given over to a reprobate mind we know what happens in, in Romans 1, it's definitely happening there. It's happening fast. But verse 12, uh, verse 11, I'm sorry. Um, but he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. So, you know, I skip verse 9. Verse 9, so it says, He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brothers in darkness even until now, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. So remember, the theme of the book again, it's knowing you have eternal life. The guy who hates his brother is not going to know anything because he's in darkness. He's not going to realize what he's doing. He's going to be so clueless about love, he's going to think he's loving and be poor perverts. And have no problem with them. That's, that's called blindness right there. Those of us who can see, we just look at that and think, what in the world? But you know what? The guy who loves his brother, he will know exactly what's going on and there will be none occasion to stumble. You know, why a lot of, you know why you stumble when you're in the dark? Because you can't see what's in front of you. A person who loves their brother, okay, they are walking in the light. They're going to be able to see the things that are there. They're going to be able to avoid those obstacles they're going to be much better off. And so the people that are hating on their brother, and those who are denying Christ, they were blind. So that person who is in blindness, they're going to have doubts. You know, based on, you know, the things that uh, they're doing, the things that they're saying, because it says darkness hath blinded his eyes. So verse 12 says, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children, because ye have, the, have known the Father. I have written unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. So John is affirming the fact that these people he is writing to, that you're, you're in the right. This group of people that you are a part of, that were a part of the same body of you that have left you, these people who are claiming 
to be of God, but they are denying the Son and they just hate you and are persecuting you, just understand they're the ones in the wrong. You're the ones, you're the ones in the right. And, you know, we, so when we look at this, it's easy for us to take this for granted because, you know, here we are today, you know, and hopefully, you know, you're not, we're not sitting around on a regular basis wondering if we're saved. Doubt we're saved. You know why? Because thankfully we have the completed scriptures, you know, the things that we that we do, you know, churches like ours, they've been around for a long time now. There's a lot of things that are very easily affirmed, confirmed, everything. But, you know, back then, remember this type of Christianity, the reformation of the church, it was a newer thing. There was a lot of persecution going on in the world. It hadn't been going on for a real long time. And so it would be a lot easier for someone to be con- confused and maybe get pulled back into their old ways. And just think about what it's like for even people who you know get saved out of a life of sin. It's real easy for them to fall back in to their old ways. And you know what? Religiously, too, it would be easy to do that. And so, you know, before you used to do all these other things, now stuff's changed. And it would be real easy to get stuck back into that stuff. And, you know, most of us... Uh, so we've, you know, probably, I mean, maybe, well, I, I know I haven't, I've, I grew up Baptist, but there's probably some in here, you know, at one time you were a part of another religion and, you know, one of two things can happen. Either the fact that they lied to you all those years makes you hate it and now you just despise it. But there might be a party that's kind of like, you know, I, I used to enjoy some of that stuff. You know, I guess it would probably depend on what kind of religion it was, but uh, any ex-Catholics in here miss, miss anything? For, no, no, miss anything. <laughs> yeah. I know we've got a lot of ex-Catholics in here, but yeah, most, but said a lot of people do, they look at it with hatred, but you know, they're, yeah, but you know, well, let me tell you this too, though, anybody, and this is an, it's a different religion from Judaism, but to me, anyone who would get saved out of the Catholic church and then go back to the Catholic church, I would say, I don't think they ever got it. Because again, most people who get saved out of the Catholic Church despise, not the people, the teachings of the Catholic Church. They, they, they absolutely despise it and often have a strong burden. I've met ex-Mormons who they hate Mormonism, but you know what? They sure do love the Mormon people. And a lot of times they have ministries geared towards reaching the Mormons. You know why? Because that that's, that's normal. That, that's very Christian to love people like that and to love people like that. You know what? If you love Mormons, you're not going to be, I'm okay with you being a Mormon. You know what you're going to do? You're going to try to get them out of it. That's what loving people do. And listen, even if you didn't believe the reprobate doctrine and you loved the LGBT crowd, you wouldn't be like, you know, celebrating their perversion. You know what you'd be doing? You'd be trying to pull them out of it. If you love them. So it's, it's amazing how, our world has just perverted what love is, and religion has picked up on it. And now, we're, you know, we're all told that we should be tolerant of other beliefs. You know, we should be tolerant of other people's religion. It's like, you know, that sounds real good. I'd love to give everybody a warm, fuzzy feeling. I'd love to be popular. But the problem is that teaching is going to send them to hell. And if I love them, I'm not going to be okay with that. So, they said it's it's just it's sad we even have to explain these things. But 
the concept of love has been so perverted that people think we're a hate group, which is one of the most ridiculous things in the world. That they, people think we're a hate group. But you know what? The Bible talks about those who call you know, good evil and evil good. And that's where we're at. I mean, they'll literally take people who love others enough to go out there and tell the truth and, you know, and devote a life to just trying to spread the truth of the gospel. And but because, you know, we don't agree with them, we're just this hateful, horrible people. It, it, it makes no sense. It's just it's frustrating uh, living in this twisted, messed up world that we're in. But, you know, we got to do it. So he says in verse um, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And we understand this isn't talking about the people because the Bible tells us in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. This is talking about the ways of the world. This is talking about the, the things of the world, the philosophies of the world. Again, the reason people you know, like Eric that we were talking about can you know, be okay with the LGBTQ plus and have no problem with them is because... He is of the world and the world right now, the worldly philosophy is that's okay. It's all good. And he is in love with the world, wants to be accepted by the world. So he literally is, doesn't have a problem with drag queens and can't even bring himself to say anything against public grooming of children. That, 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 that's where he's at. Okay. So the thing is, as Christians, we are not supposed to love the world, meaning the things of the world, the philosophies of this world, just the teachings. And so when it comes to the pride junk that's being promoted this month, you better believe we don't love that stuff. We hate it. Big time. And it's not because we're just these hateful people. No, it's because we're loving people and we just love the right things. Because you can't love God and love the world. You can't love God and love the devil. That doesn't make any sense. You can't love you can't love the Cubs and love the Cardinals. That's not you can't do that. Okay, you know you can't love flowers and love weeds. You got to hate something, folks. Okay, and if anybody in here doesn't hate the Cardinals, I'm gonna have to preach another message uh, for you now. But uh, that doesn't matter. But verse 16: For all that is in the world, okay. And notice, he's not talking about the people. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So this proves this is something different than what we're seeing in John 3.16, where it says God so loved the world. He's talking about people. God didn't die. Jesus didn't die for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He died for people, didn't he? So there's, not a, there's no contradiction here. It's talking about a different thing. And so the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, okay, the, the perversion, all the sexual junk they're wanting to push, that's the lust of the flesh. We're not supposed to love that. So you know what? It's okay for us to say we hate sodomy and sodomites. We are again, we're supposed to hate that stuff. We've been told to. If you love it, something's wrong with you. In fact... If you love those things, the love of the Father is not in you. You don't have, you don't have real love in you, according, according to the Bible. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So again, you know, people that want to tell us we have no love, you know, well, I guess if your standard of love is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, 
if your standard of love is the love of the world, then I guess, yes, we don't have that because we have something different. We have the love of God. And the love of God that is in us will not allow us to love those things. It will cause us to hate those things. And if you love those things, yeah, fine, you've got love, but you've got a perverted love. You don't have the love of God in you. And you know what? We're supposed to be promoting the love of God. Yet, half the time, when you do and you say something against perversion, what do people say? You don't have the love of Jesus in you. It's like, have you ever read the Bible? Just one time. Just go read the Bible. One, one, go read 1 John 2. Read the book of 1 John. It's an easy book. It's a short book. And then go tell me we have no love. No, you have no love. They have perverted love. So if you love the things of the world, then you, uh, if you love the things of the world, if you're in love with, if you're about the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, you will be distracted from the truth. You'll have all kinds of confusion because the Christian life, uh, it often creates situations where we're not able to have the things that the rest of the world has. And it'll even cause us to be hated. You know, and it is, it's sad how upset and how intolerant the world is of us. Of how intolerant, it's amazing how intolerant all these trendies are of the IFB. They get so bent out of shape by the things we do. They hate us so much because of what we teach that they, that's why they only focus on perverts in the IFB. And again, I wish those people weren't there. You know, but you know what? The Bible did tell us, Jesus did warn us that the devil was going to sow tares among the wheat. And you know, I don't fault the church for having a tear in there as long as they deal with it when they find it. And again, when churches cover up the tears, we got a huge problem. And that does need to be called out. And these people are giving the enemies of God an occasion to blaspheme. And that's exactly what they're doing. And it's a shame when that happens. And it's because they love their money, they love their buildings and all that more than they love God. We love God. So you know what we do? We expose perverts. We throw perverts out. We publicly call them out. And it's against because we love people. So verse 18, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard, the Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. And it was prophesied that another would come and claim to be the Christ or the Messiah who was not the real Messiah. And so while what they were seeing was not the full manifestation of that prophecy, I do believe what we were seeing here was the beginning of it. And I do. I believe that the, uh, the new Judaism that came out in that first century by those who rejected the Old Testament and rejected Jesus Christ, I believe that that was the beginning of an Antichrist movement that has been growing throughout time and it will fully manifest itself probably very soon. And they will eventually uh, claim that they found their Messiah, another Christ who is not Jesus, and that will be who we call the Antichrist and who the book of Revelation calls the beast. And it all started back then. And you know what John's saying? Hey, it was prophesied that Antichrist was going to come. It was prophesied there was going to be a great falling away. It was prophesied this kind of thing was going to happen. And sure enough, they were seeing the beginning of it back then in that day by a bunch of people who had claimed to be being true to Judaism and accepting Jesus as Messiah, but they never really believed on him. They never really trusted in him. And they apostatized and they left and they went and they started their own 
uh, synagogue of Satan cult that's still out there today. That was, but this was the beginning of it, I believe. So they were seeing a falling away. It was prophesied. Paul said that. Because Paul, he wrote what he did before this all took place. And the Apostle Paul said, you know, before the return of Christ, before the day of Christ, there's going to be a falling away. Okay? And that falling away, I do. I believe it began back then. And then he said there's going to be a falling away, but he didn't put a time period in there. there. He said there's going to be a falling away and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And so the falling away began with the start of the new Judaism and it's going to end with them finally claiming someone as the Messiah when they have power and that he's going to make war with the saints again. You know why? Because these antichrists, they've always hated the church. They've always been persecuting the church. That's what they did in Paul's day and John's day. And you know what? In the last day when it's almost all done, it, I do. I believe it's going to be a Jewish persecution on the believers in the tribulation. Uh, led by that false Messiah, the Antichrist, the beast. And, uh, and then the fulfilling of what Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2 will come to pass. And then after uh, he has his way, after he shows him, declares himself to be God, he's going to be destroyed with the brightness of the coming of Christ. And looking forward, looking forward to that day. I uh, don't want to get into end times. But verse 19, he goes on to say, so where did these Antichrists come from? Where did this group start? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be manifest that they were not all of us. A separating of the sheep and the goats. This is Jesus showing who the real believers were during that time. A lot of people were claimed to be Jews. A lot of people were claimed to be of God. The coming of Christ and the, uh, the Holy Spirit moving on Pentecost and all the things that took place during that day, it did a purging of that church and it showed who the real believers were and who weren't. And I believe another separating the sheep and goats is going to come in the last day. Yeah, because we've got churches all over the world now. A lot of people claim to be Christian. But you know, when the tribulation comes, it's, we're going to know who the real ones are and who aren't. And the ones who aren't, you know what they're going to be doing? They're going to be bound the knee to the image of the Antichrist. While the rest of us, we're going to be standing against them. Full on rebellion. Amen. During that time. And I'm, I'm almost excited about that. I'm looking forward to it. A time of good rebellion happened. But anyway, verse 20. But uh, ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. So they had a special anointing. They knew the truth. So that I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. So these Antichrists, they do not have the Father or the Son. Never let anyone tell you, Jews believe in God, we believe in Jesus. No, they, don't, they do not believe in God the Father. They do not believe in either. It's a package deal. John established that in chapter 1. And throughout the book, he establishes that. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If the, what is that? Love your brethren. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. So the word of life that we have heard from the beginning, uh, or, turn, or turn back to First John chapter 1, verse 1. Look what he says. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled 
the word of life. So the word of life is what they had from the beginning. Jesus Christ. And so he said, because you have Christ, therefore we confess the Father and the Son. We confess both, not just one. And this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. So because we believe in the Son, we have eternal life. That's how we got saved. We believed on Christ. That's how we received salvation. That's why we're going to go to heaven, because we believed on Jesus Christ. So notice what he says here at the end after he's established all these things. As he's showing people how you can know you're saved, you're going to keep his commandments. You're going to love the brethren. If you do, he said, again, if, if you don't love the people of God, there is something wrong with you. A lot of people will say, they'll, and you know what, let me just sound like a camp meeting preacher for a minute. Because they will. They'll go to 1 John. The Bible says, you know, we'll keep his commandments. You know, saw you out drinking the other day. You did this, you did that. They'll tell all these sins. But wait a minute. You know, and a lot of people, too, are tore up about their sins. You know, they're, you know, they're trying to get victory over these things. They, they are saved, but they're struggling. But then they'll use 1 John to act like these people aren't saved because of some sin that they're doing. No, it's love for the brethren. And many saved people do really bad things. And one of the reasons they feel bad about the bad things they do is because they know they're letting their brothers and sisters down in church. You know why? Because they love them. And I'm, I'm here today to tell you, you know, we don't want to stop saying there's something wrong with you. You know, just because the camp meeting preachers use it for all the wrong sins. We should say there's something wrong with you when you don't love God's people. When you have no interest in being around people of God. And let me just say this too, because you have some people that act like people who never go to church, never really got saved. You want to know why a lot of people don't want to go to church? Because they don't understand what church really is. Because they've been to a lot of these fake churches. They've been to a lot of these churches that's just full of carnality and things that have nothing to do with Christ. And they're, they're, they've been to churches that are full of goats. And so the thing, and you know, how many times have we seen it where people have come to this church like, I've never been to a church like this before. You know, and, that, and understand, there's a lot of people that get saved out souling and they've never come to church because they, they have the wrong idea about what church is. And that's why we need to do what we can to get them in here because they come in here and know what they're going to say. I haven't been to a church like that before. Yeah, this is called a real church. This is called a biblical church. This is one that's full of sheep. Instead of goats, this is one where we actually worship Christ and do the things we've been commanded to do. Not one of these fun center Chuck E. Cheese churches. That's not that's not what we are. And so, uh, verse twenty six. So these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. These people that are trying to pull you back into Judaism, don't fall for it. I'm writing this to warn you. You're okay. What you're doing is right. You're following Jesus Christ. You actually have the Father. They don't have either. So they were try- people were trying to deceive him. He said, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So the Holy Spirit that we have been given cannot leave us, and it teaches us, the same thing that John's teaching. The Holy Spirit teaches us the same thing the Bible teaches. Somebody comes along and they're trying to do something that's against the Bible, like, well, the Holy Spirit told me to. the Holy Spirit didn't tell you to do it. And we're going to see, this is another theme we're going to see more later in the book of 1 John, is how one of the ways that we understand these things are true is they're all in agreement with each other. The Bible always agrees with God. God always agrees with Jesus. Jesus already always agrees with God. The Bible, the Holy Spirit 
always agrees with the Bible. They're always in agreement. There's no conflicting message here. And so when someone comes along and they say, I'm just following God, but they're going against the Bible, you and I can know they're not following God. They can claim it all they want. Just like the Jews were back then. They're saying, oh, we believe God. No, they don't. You're not following Jesus Christ. You're not following the Word of God. So never fall for that. Don't let people pull that over on you. It doesn't work. So um, the Word of God confirms what is already in our hearts. And that is why we can have peace and why we are in light. We will not stumble when others say lies because we clearly see the truth. That's why when Southern Poverty Law Centers says Liberty Baptist Church is a hate group, I don't, I'm not sitting here like, oh man, I'm not like soul searching. Where are we going wrong? What did we do? I, I don't feel that way at all. You know what? I'm like, you know what? The Bible actually, actually describes these people perfect. They don't know what love is. I do know what love is. So when the Eric Skorzynski's are promoting their hateful, hateful rhetoric, just, I mean, to say, to, to give value to perverts, to you know, molesters of children, just to groomers of children, when you're, you know, that, that is the most hateful thing that I can even imagine. I see right through that. You know what I see? I see a hypocrite. I see a lover of the world. And of the things that are in the world. That's that's exactly what 1 John 2 is describing. And so I'm looking at that. And you know what? I am not questioning for two seconds. He can say whatever he wants. He can make his little videos talking about me. And I I can't believe he said that about me. You know, I'm so nice. I'm just trying to expose perverts. And then I'll have all his little army come after me. He's just trying to expose perverts. Why are you going after him? Because he doesn't care. He's only... Hates the message of the IFB. That's what he hates. And that's why he just is turning a blind eye to the reality of what's going on in the LGBT world. And so we see right through it. And and we're not phased a bit. And so when the rabid mobs get on there foaming at the mouth, doing their thing, whatever, I'm not worried. I'll sleep like a baby. You know why? Because I see right through it. I see the truth. So now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his, at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And what is that doing of righteousness folks? Are, Are you, are you a doer of righteousness because you keep all the law? Because it's already been established. We don't keep all the law. Okay. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Okay, what does he mean by doing righteousness? And we'll talk more about this next week, okay? In case anyone thinks I'm getting heretical or arrogant and claiming that I'm doing righteousness and that I'm keeping his commandments, I'm going sh- to show more evidence of this that he's being specific here. And it's talking about loving the brethren versus those who hate. Okay? And so, I mean, if we're trying to figure out who's saved and who's not, because folks, there's conflict, there's different messages out there. You've got me up here saying one thing, and you've got the you know, Eric Sprozinski's saying another thing. Who's hating on the brethren? Who's hating on the people of God? Who's denying Jesus as the Christ? Okay, so the thing is, whatever he wants to say about me and whatever he wants to say about our church, I mean, folks, it's pretty clear what's going on. I've, I've got confidence. 
about this. You know why? Because we're the ones doing righteousness. In other words, we're the ones lifting up Christ. We're the ones affirming the fact that He is the Messiah. We are the ones loving the brethren, not hating on the brethren. We're the ones loving on the brethren. We're the ones who have a message that's actually consistent with the Bible. The Word of God. So you know what? We have confidence. So you know what? Bring on the hate. You know what? Let the trendies all throw a fit. Bobby, we don't care. We don't care. I, I want people like that to throw a fit when they hear my preaching. If they like my stuff, I'm probably doing something wrong. Because they have the love of the world, we have the love of God, and those things do not go together. And they're not going to love each other, so there will be a continual battle between people like me and the Skorzynskis and his type. There will always be a battle between the two of us. Spoiler alert, we win. We win. I've read the back of the book. And we win. So now that all these things have been settled, let's work on being as much like him as possible. So now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, not be ashamed for him as coming. If we know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Let's be like Christ. And what's his most notable thing? His love. Let's show that love for others. Let's show that love for each other here. Let's show that love for the people in the world by telling them the truth, by doing the things that are going to make us not be loved. You know, and people always forget. You, know, you need to be more like Jesus and be more loving. And they always forget he was crucified by a mob. And yet a mob attacks a church. They think something must be wrong with the church. It must not be loving. That, that doesn't make sense. The theme of the book of 1 John is love of the brethren. This is a command from God. And it's not grievous. When you have hatred for the people of God, you've got a real problem. And there are saved people who don't, maybe don't have a strong love for the people of God because they've never been around them. Some of the people out who got saved out souling. But I believe when a truly saved person gets around other saved people, there's a connection that's just very special. And everyone seems to gravitate towards their own kind. There's a difference between the sins that we find in the Old Testament all those laws and this new way of, the, of keeping Jesus' commandments, which were love the Lord, love your neighbor. This is the Christian life. I'm not worried about, they say, 613 laws in the Old Testament. I've never counted them up. I'm not, I, I can't even quote all those laws. If I can quote those two, love God, love your neighbor. That's what we need to be known for. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help to everyone. I pray, Lord, that you'll uh, help us to... Uh, keep your commandments. I pray you'll help us continue doing righteousness and, and have our love, that love for the brethren like you commanded us. I pray you'll help us to be a help and encouragement to each other as we try to edify each other to be more like you. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us to try to reach more people uh, with the gospel so they can be a part of this body of believers and we can uh, just share, uh, show love to them and just try to make a difference in people's lives as a way to honor you. In your name we pray. Amen.